Hi, welcome to Astrology Talk. I'm Christina Rodenbeck from the Oxford Astrologer, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Sally Kirkman from sallykirkman.com. And we're here to talk about the month ahead. Yay. We're talking about basically Scorpio season, right? 23rd of October to the 22nd of November. What's happening? What's coming up? We're going to do a bit of retrojection about the month that has just passed including we're going to probably look at uh, the chart of Israel. I think it's unavoidable, even though it's a difficult subject. And also just about Scorpios in general. So we'll do those two things first before diving into the month ahead. Hey, Sally, how are you? Hey, Christina, how are you doing? I'm fine. I mean, we're recording this quite early, aren't we? So um, a bit earlier than we usually do. And Israel, what's happening in Israel and Gaza is huge news. So, and the astrology is very apt, very brutally apt. And we thought we did need to to dip into it. And also, yeah, very, very resonant of what's been happening in Libra season with this sort of Aries-Libra polarity. So we did think we just wanted to look quickly at the chart of Israel and look at what was happening with the transits at the time of the, the first attack. The time that I have for the when Hamas broke through the fence and from the Gaza Strip into Israel, into southern Israel. So, I mean, in case you haven't been paying attention to the news, Hamas, who are running the Gaza Strip at the moment, broke into Israel at 6.35 in the morning on the 7th of October 2023. And they have taken hostages and been on a killing spree. And the retaliation from Israel is also hair-raising. So all round, a very violent event, I would say. And this is quite a violent chart, is it not? It is. I mean, there's, you know, what the, the major aspect that was building was Mars in Libra, square Pluto in Capricorn. Mars, god of war, Pluto, god of the underworld, a clash of the two. And I mean, anyone who talks about that aspect, there's a ruthlessness, a brutality about it. And just looking at the chart of Israel, the ascendants, 23 Libra, I see the base at the bottom is 25 Capricorn. So this Mars-Pluto square was on the ascendant, Mars on the ascendant, and Pluto down at the base of the horoscope. I mean, that straight away, you see that. It's exaggerated, though, isn't it? I mean, this is the thing. This is the really, the real, real thing is that that you have that aspect, which is an aspect that does happen several times a year. You know, the Mars square Pluto is this is not an unusual thing, but this is on the nodes, right? What are the nodes? The nodes are where the eclipses happen. And the eclipses were coming up to an eclipse on the 14th of October at this spot at 21 Libra. We're going to be having this eclipse. So, from when we're speaking, by the way. So we're speaking a little bit earlier, just after the, this, these attacks. So it's retrodiction. By the time you listen to this, we'll have had that eclipse. That eclipse is coming. That eclipse point is on the ascendant of the Israeli chart. And it's just as the attack happens, Mars goes over that point. And it's, there's many, many features to this chart. Just to list a few more. Uranus on the Israeli sun right now. It's been going back and forth. Now, many of us thought that was probably to do with the demonstrations that have been going on for the last 40 weeks in Israel against the current government, because this is about people power quite often, Uranus, but it's also about revolution 
and a shock. So you have this shock to the Israel and its identity. The other thing that I find fascinating that I only really just was drinking in just before this podcast is that Venus, the planet of love, is making an exact conjunction to Mars, the planet of war at the moment. Not only is she doing in Leo, and Leo is quite an important sign for Israel. You know, Israel has the moon in Leo, it's the Lion of Judah, etc. But Venus is actually at the point where she was, where she turned retrograde, right? So she's coming out of the shadow at this point. She's coming out of the shadow of her retrograde, which I think is fascinating. I also would just add to that, that we always think of Venus as the planet of love, but she's a Venus who's coming out from the underworld. So literally, if we were just take a step back and we think of the symbolism of some of the stuff that's happened, is that these are, they have been quietly planning this huge attack. It's the biggest attack on Israel, I think, since 1973, which was the Six-Day War, the Yom Kippur War, 18 days that changed the world. Anyways, she's coming out of the underworld, right? So this planning has been going on, and it's a very strategic planning. Leo is actually one of the signs that's quite good at that. It's like a nightmare coming out of the underworld. So she's unleashing these forces. And Venus can sometimes be a planet of war. In other cultures, for example, Central American cultures, she is a planet of war. In Mongolia and Central Asia, she was a planet of war. So we're, we like to think of this whole love thing, whatever, with Venus, but there's a part of her that's the planet of war. And I think that's fascinating that this is this, it's like a terrible, like I said, a terrible nightmare that's reached out and grabbed people and pulled them back into this underworld. I was just going to say that's emphasized by the Pluto, isn't it, as well? turning and switching direction as this was happening as well. You know, the two themes together. It was stationing at the time of the attack and it turned backwards on the 9th of October. What happens when you get this Pluto station is you get an intensification of that dark power. One other thing, just for those of you who are really, you know, into the asteroids is to pay attention when you have a hostage situation, when you have people being taken hostage just to look at the relationship between Ceres and Pluto, who's associated with Demeter, whose daughter Persephone was hauled into the underworld by Pluto. And that just feels very symbolic at the moment. Um, I know when you're listening to this, it will we're right in it now. So it feels really intense and difficult. I've been going out to the sunset. I've been going out to the sunrise. I keep coming back into nature, trying to come back into myself. I also want to talk about an experience I had last month on the full moon, cutting across that Aries-Libra axis of the zodiac and, you know, using astrology to kind of give insight and understanding. I mean, that full moon on September the 29th, it fell across my ascendant-descendant axis. So I've got my ascendant Aries, so the moon was slap bang on it. And I went to watch um, a cinema version of A Little Life, which is the book by Hannah Yanagihara. It was on in London with James Norton playing it, and it was the cinema version of it. It was very long. It was three hours 20, and I didn't stay for it all. And it's very difficult subject matter. Again, it feels like this difficult subject matter is so intense at the moment. It was about child prostitution, child abuse. And during the full moon, I mean, I knew the full moon was out there. I started to feel this rage. 
I just felt so angry. I thought, Lord, if I was in the theatre now, I'd be running up and punching the the guy who was the main abuser. I mean, it was literally quite visceral. And I actually left and went outside. And as I was walking home, I was thinking, what on earth? You know, this this is feeling a lot of anger. Is this kind of collective rage coming out? And it made me look at this Aries Libra axis. You know, Aries ruled by Mars, god of war. Libra ruled by Venus, who, as we've talked about, can sometimes be war, but is also peace and love. And how important it is to really see the kind of polarization of that axis and to know that when you feel rage and when you feel anger, there's something in you that wants to attack, that wants to hit back, which is how, you know, hate generates hate, war generates war. It's that kind of constant axis. But you need to, if you can come out, you know, I thought I need to look at this from the Libra side of things, my moon in Libra. And then I thought about, you know, Gandhi was the epitome of a sun Libra. He was all about nonviolent resistance and he was about peace. It is this real polarity, isn't it, between hate and love, war and peace. It's this axis that is going to be so powerful over the next couple of years as we have the eclipses in Aries and Libra. And that actually helped me kind of calm down and think it's, you know, it's important to feel this anger and rage and it needs to be expressed, but it needs to be expressed safely, constructively. And I want to come back to a place of love, a place of peace. So for me, it was a real, quite an extraordinary experience that helped me look at the polarity of those two signs. Yeah, a couple things to that, Sally. First of all, I read the book, had to skip huge chunks of it, really questioned the pornography of some of the writing, was actually too much, too detailed, too strange. I thought, wait a second, someone who likes this stuff might read it. So I was, I skipped huge chunks. It pushes those buttons, right? It's a, trying to make you angry or trying to make you feel. But some people feel the wrong thing. Let's put it like that. Because Mar Aries is also about passion and attack. And so there, it's interesting that you saw something that was about perverted sex. I think it's not doing a spoiler to say it's about pedophilia and quite detailedly about pedophilia. Aries and Mars can be about having a drive that you can't contain. The other thing I'd like to say, just in response to that, is that Mahatma Gandhi also had Mars in Libra. So he had the ruler of Aries in Libra. So he was a warrior for peace. And so he was really working on that polarity. And I think that the way to work with polarities is to see what other aspects you're getting from other signs, you know, is to not focus on those two signs completely, but to see where you're getting the trines, even where you're getting the squares from the other planets and other signs and not get just ping-ponging back and forth. I have some a friend of mine who's got this issue, which is to do with someone she knows. She has the moon in Libra, the other person has the moon in Aries, and they have been ping-ponging back and forth with this difficult situation. And of course, what needs to happen is for a third way to come in. You need the third way. Yay. So that was very serious. Let's move on <laughs> to something 
less serious, okay? Which is, let's just talk about Scorpios. Oh, wait a second. Scorpios are really serious, right, Sally? (laughs) Sally is a Scorpio, in case you didn't know. And it's birthday season coming up. Yay! I mean, Scorpios is, it's a great sign. It's deep water. We can be intense. We can get dark. But it's also passion. It's a passionate sign. It's full of kind of curiosity for life. I mean, that real, you know, wanting to know about everything, the mysteries of the universe. I mean, no surprise really ended up being an astrologer being a Scorpio. It fits perfectly. It has a bad reputation, Scorpio, the scorpion, the sting in the tail. But yeah, there's a lot of positive stuff too. What do you like about Scorpios, Christina? Oh, I like the, you know, the black leather, the whips, the chains, you know. That stuff. What do I love about Scorpios? Well, obviously, I love you, Sally. You. Um, <laughs> what I love about Scorpios when they're doing their chart well is integrity, integrity, integrity. They're really people that you can trust. You, know, you can trust them with a secret. You can trust them to do the thing that they said they were going to do. And that's what I love about them. And also that there's this emotional intelligence makes them really easy to, for me to talk to that you're often on the same way like anyway, because I'm a very Piscean. So I, it's what that watery thing is very attractive for me. What I don't like about Scorpios is the obsession and the not letting go. So Scorpios can be terrible enemies. You know, they won't just make peace. You know, they won't do that. But that's part of their integrity is that they will carry on doing something, even if it's self-destructive. And sometimes that sting in the tail, you can sting yourself. I think. Oh, yes. I mean, it is, you know, Scorpio ruled by Mars and Pluto, the two planets we've just been talking about, you know, God of war, God of the underworld. So, and I think most Scorpios can have that spiraling effect where they can be really hard on themselves and they can get into a dark place. So, you know, having the light is so important and having people in your life who bring the light as well. And I just think learning to kind of love yourself and and not go to those dark places is part of it's part of Scorpio's path as well. So I'm someone who's speaking with a lot of experience in life and, you know, looking back on what I did that worked well and what I did that didn't work so well. So um very interesting. And one more thing I want to say about Scorpios is I think that there's a sign of again, when it works well, of great emotional maturity. They're one of the adults of the Zodiac. And that's one of the other things that they're working towards is becoming emotionally mature through experience quite often. And often Scorpios have quite a lot of tragedy in their life or they have early, you know, their parents die early or whatever. They have these encounters that are very intense in real life. So it's not necessarily all internal and they grow and evolve. And the other thing that I love about Scorpios is the phoenix quality. Everything can go to shit for Scorpios, right? And then there they are regrowing out of that manure. You know, somehow they pick themselves up, brush themselves down and start to grow again. And that is an incredible, I think they're the sign that does that most effectively. It's an incredible quality. Absolutely. And just, you know, in my personal experience, and I think that really touches on that is that my mother died when I was eight months pregnant. Wow, to have that life, death, rebirth, renewal, a real powerful experience of that. And that's taught me so much about grief and so much about love. I mean, it was an extraordinary experience, actually, and something that really 
touched me deeply in my life and kind of formed who I am, I think. So totally agree that very often Scorpios have those kind of powerful experiences of love and loss. You can't have one without the other. You know, if you love deeply, then you will experience loss at some point. But it's the dark and the light as well. It teaches you about the dark and the light. And I just want to say my favourite Scorpio, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> I mean, if you've watched Barbie this summer, I'm just Ken. I mean, he's, you know, and he brings the lightness. He's been bringing the lightness to Scorpio, Ryan Gosling. So he's my heartthrob Scorpio. That's really interesting that he's a Scorpio. I ain't going to look at him again. He's really great at comedy. I'd like Julie Roberts. She's another Scorpio, isn't she? Also great at comedy. That sort of real sharpness that you get. And also it's because there's a little bit of dark in there always, even when they're being funny. And that makes it more funny because it's kind of dangerous funny. Right. Shall we look at the month ahead? Yeah, let's dive into what's happening Scorpio season. Absolutely. And the first thing really that's happening is an ending, isn't it? Because it's the, the last eclipse in the Scorpio Taurus eclipse cycle is coming up on October the 28th. So not long after the sun moves into Scorpio and we've got the sun at five degrees Scorpio, the moon at five degrees Taurus during this eclipse. So these eclipses started in November 2021 um, and if they're in your star sign or your opposite star sign, they're powerful. You know, you're in a period of accelerated growth. It's a time of change. It's a time of kind of, you know, drama, the highs and lows of life. So many Scorpios, many Taurians will have found these past two years like quite immense in a way, quite eventful. And this is the last eclipse coming up. And it's a powerful one, isn't it? It's a biggie. It's a lunar eclipse, of course. So emotional. It's in Taurus. I do think that it's really lifted for a lot of Taurians on a personal level by the fact that you've got Jupiter in your sign now. So that it's lifted and magnified by that. So it may be very emotional for Taurians. And it feels like, it does feel like the end of, it may be the end of a short story that began in November. And a release, you know, it's like, okay, we're finishing off with that. One of the things I like about this eclipse is that it makes pretty nice aspects to Saturn. So as we were discussing about polarities previously, it's important with polarities to find the other planets that are doing something nice, right? So an eclipse is always about polarities. It's about me and you, us and them. So with Saturn in Pisces, it gives you an outlet. It lets, helps you let off steam towards that Saturn. That Saturn may show you a way, maybe a teacher or a guide, especially for, you know, for Taurus or Scorpio, who are the most, who are the most affected by this. But let's face it, all of the fixed signs really have been feeling these eclipses, these Taurus Scorpio eclipses. You know, so for example, for Leo, it might well have been that your career has changed direction completely over the last 18 months and probably in a good way. So in general, I think that there's something about this eclipse that for most people or a lot of people can be really positive because Jupiter is involved. There is a negative side to it as well, of course, which is still the Mercury-Mars conjunction. And so, for example, I don't see the situation in Israel getting any better, particularly at that point. But for the personal, I can see that this eclipse is this huge release of stuff that's been happening over the last 18 well, 2021, two years. 
I was just going to say, I think that it's really important that, I mean, it's a Jupiter eclipse, you know, Jupiter's in there. So there is opportunity, there's release too, something coming to an end, maybe. It's the planet of freedom, isn't it? And I liked what you said a lot about, I think it is very important for Leo and Aquarius, because this is the foundational axis of your chart. It's your home, your family, your roots, where you come from. It's your career, it's your vocation, it's your future, it's where you're heading. So very often when you get eclipses on those key points in your chart, it is about big changes at home, the family, you know, a new direction opening up. It's a really powerful axis. But also just to say that, you know, there is Mercury and Mars in Scorpio together, which are conjunct the sun. I love Mercury and Mars conjunctions for walking your talk. Do what you say. You know, it's that kind of, there's this passion there, there's this movement there, this intensity. So I think really powerful for Scorpio to kind of, you know, to make your mark during this eclipse period. I'm just noticing also, just referring back to the beginning of this podcast when I was mentioning Ceres, the asteroid Ceres, her involvement with hostage situations. And I'm just noticing that she's coming up here you can see she's at 18 degrees of Scorpio. Mars is at 11 degrees. He's approaching her. She is also approaching Uranus, an opposition to Uranus in Taurus. And then she will eventually make a sextile aspect to Pluto. But right now she's in the underworld. She's in Scorpio. So we'll see what happens. But I think keep an eye on the relationship between Ceres and Pluto going forward over the next month. The other thing to note about this month, right, is we go in, we come in on the 23rd of October, right? That's when the sun moves into Scorpio. And that is halfway basically through an inter-eclipse period. So we had one eclipse on the 14th of October and one on the 28th of October. So we're in quite a tumultuous period anyway, right? Things are bubbling up. Things are coming out. They're released at the eclipse. But it's often a very strange period, that inter-eclipse period, and it's affecting things before. So an eclipse like drops a pebble into the ocean, into the water, and it ripples out in both directions of time, right? So it goes backwards and forwards in time. That's my opinion anyway, that it has an effect backwards and forwards. Because time is linear, but it's also spiral, and it's also something else as well, multidimensional. But that may be for another podcast. So this eclipse is affecting backwards and forwards. And it's affecting this week running up to it. You're going to be feeling that already because you've already kind of been let go into that eclipse, real eclipse period. And it may, for some people, feel like a kind of free falling, like they haven't got their feet quite on the ground. Just note that there's a transit. It's temporary. It's okay. Your feet are going to come back on the ground. Also, just to talk about, you know, there's very often we say as the astrologer's advice is not to plan anything on an eclipse date, not to do anything on an eclipse date. I remember my um, my system had booked a flight to the other side of the world on an eclipse. I was like, oh, no, why didn't she ask me about that? Actually, it was fine, but her luggage got eclipsed. Her luggage didn't turn up for about 10 days. So, <laughs> you know, who or what is eclipsed? But actually, I think this this eclipse is so full of kind of power and action because it pulls in the Mercury-Mars conjunction and it pulls in Jupiter as well. And all of that activity is so strong on the 28th and 29th 
that I kind of think you may not be able to stop yourself moving forward. It feels like this rush. It feels like a rush of kind of planetary activity, like almost a, a wave. It could be a really exciting time, actually, I think, this eclipse because of that. So it may be that, you know, just wait and see what happens. There could be some, I don't know, huge party going on, and particularly perhaps for Capricorn and also for, for Cancer. You know, it might be something, this, this really big social event going on. Or you're at a conference where there's a, there's a lot of excitement and a lot of new ideas around too. There's a lot, isn't there? It's a sort of whoosh of planetary energy during this eclipse. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just thinking it's good for Virgo as well. And that, you know, it's like, let's release some information. Let's, you know, send our stuff to the gallery. Let's do something like that. And I was just thinking, I just realized that during this inter-eclipse period, well, I didn't just realize, but it occurred to me to mention it. And I will fill you in when I come back. Is I'm actually doing some ghost busting, although I wouldn't call it busting, but ghost clearing. I'm clearing a house of ghosts in that inter-eclipse period. And... I'm doing it for a friend who is actually a Virgo and she's just moved into this place. And we all knew that there was, there were issues around it. So I'm going up to in between, I think I'll be back by the 28th, but an eclipse oddly can be quite a good time for doing that. Cause what you're doing is you're opening. Cause what happens is the doors open on the eclipse, you know, and if you depends on your kind of how you think the world works, but if you have some feeling about spirit spirit can exit, so to speak, go to the light. And that's even more so, emphasized even more so by the Jupiter connection, spiritual planet. I love that you're doing that. Also on that note, it just made me think that Ryan Gosling does, I mean, you said he's not very Scorpio, but he's got a band. It's a duo. They're called Dead Man's Bones. So I thought that was kind of, (laughs) you know, there we go. There's the Scorpio coming out. Maybe he is very Scorpio after all. Um, So Ryan, would you like to accompany me on my, you know, ghost clearing exercise? Because there's there's room for three in the car. (laughs) I was just going to say as well, and I mean, this eclipse is on the 28th, but obviously it's very close, isn't it, to Halloween, the Day of the Dead, you know, which is that time to honour ancestors as well, to, you know, play around with the spooky side of life as well. So the, it feels quite perfect that there's this Scorpio eclipse moving into Halloween season. And I did notice that, you know, you were talking about Virgos. I mean, Venus is in Virgo during this, which is lovely for Virgos having, you know, Venus gracing your star sign. And actually on Halloween, there's a Venus-Uranus trine aspect. And that's fun. I mean, that's great for kind of, I don't know, you know, going to a Halloween party and meeting someone new or having a great time with your kids tricking and treating. I mean, it's it's lovely to have that aspect, that connection on Halloween itself. Oh, we're wearing a really bizarre costume. Uh, so what are you going as this Halloween, Sally? Oh, I, I have no plans. I mean, I don't really do Halloween. You know, I know it's so big in America. It's big here. My, for my kids here at university, Halloween is like a four-day event. You know, it's continuous. And with various costume changes, they've been organizing them already. Okay, so quite soon after Halloween, we've got Saturn turning direct, which I think is quite an important thing for everybody to keep in mind during this crazy eclipsy moons, blah, blah, blah. Saturn is stationing throughout this period. 
at zero degrees of Pisces. So Saturn is an anchor, even though it's in Pisces, which is like anchor, not anchor. Uh, Saturn is an anchor at this point because of that intensity of the Saturn station at zero degrees of Pisces before he starts going forward and will move very rapidly through Pisces after that for a while. Not initially, but he gets quite far into Pisces now. So this is in some ways we had the sort of, for a lot of people, Pisces, Virgo, Cancer, Scorpio, Saturn was very concentrated in the early degrees of Pisces between zero and eight degrees for most of this year, right? Since March. So he spent a long time going back and forth over this one little tiny section of the entire zodiac. It's like, I really, really want to look into this, as Saturn was saying. I really want to fix this and make it stronger is usually what happens after Saturn transit. So very important if you yourself happen to have Saturn in those degrees or in opposition to those degrees or in trying to those degrees or even in sextile to those degrees. So that includes all the water signs and all the earth signs. If you have anything in the early degrees of those, this Saturn has been giving you challenges, maybe obstructing you, maybe making you feel depressed, but also making you stronger. And now he's going to go direct. And during the eclipse season, Saturn may literally be someone who can give you good advice. Yeah, that's, you know, Saturn in Pisces, there's this this shaman side to Saturn. There's a solitude side. And in Pisces, you know, it does feel like that, that wisdom or experience. And it may be an elder or it may be a teacher coming into your life. Or it may be your own kind of inner wisdom really kicking in. I think it's an interesting one for Gemini in particular, because that, you know, Saturn is in it's at the top of your chart. It's in your career sector. So there may be this may be a really significant turning point for where you're heading and really trust your inner wisdom with this. It's kind of, you know, Saturn in Pisces for me, it turns inwards and really kind of listen, listen to that inner voice as well. Slow right down so you can hear what's saying and trust your emotions with Saturn in Pisces. And also it may be taking you back to something that started in March as as it goes right back to zero degrees, something that began then that you're ready to kind of implement or put into place now. Yeah, I actually, it's interesting that if I just have two family examples of that, that my Gemini kid is at university, she's going to have that square and actually she'll probably start properly studying at that point or maybe find that one of her teachers is either very harsh or very great. Let's hope it's the great someone, in fact, a spiritual teacher. It can be for a lot of people because this is in Pisces. And interestingly enough, I think for Sagittarians, you know, this is really important too. And I have another family example of that, which is for Sagittarians, this is on a very key point of your chart, this stationing of Saturn. It's an ending, okay? There's, I would say almost unequivocally, some big chapter is finishing for you. And it may be a 28 year chapter, maybe a really long Saturn cycle chapter. And in fact, my sister is going to be retiring. She's a Sagittarius with Moon Pisces. She's not retiring yet. It'll be in a couple of years time, but she's putting plans in place for how she's going to do this. And that is classic Saturn on the IC or the MC. It can be either on the bottom or the top of the chart, but for her, it's the end of this 28 years of teaching. 
How lovely. And yeah, again, because of Saturn, the Saturn cycle is that, you know, it's around between 28 and 30 years. Also, you know, for everybody, have a have a think back to that period and what was happening. I like that a lot. I kind of, it feels, I don't know if it, Saturn does feel like a, a positive influence at the moment. And also to say, we've got Venus moving into Libra on the 8th and Mercury, the communication planet, moving into Sagittarius on the 10th. So both those signs, Libra and Sagittarius, it feels like it's bringing something a bit lighter, a bit more extrovert. You know, they're they're moving away. I mean, Mercury in particular, moving out of Scorpio quite quickly. And this is before the new moon taking place on November the 13th. So it is a reminder to, you know, to be out there in the world and to do the things you enjoy and be with the people you love. Um, I mean, Venus loves to be in Libra, Mercury and Sagittarius can be hysterical. It's quite a funny placing for Mercury. So be around the people who are light, who lift your spirits as well um, during this period. I like the fact that those two inner planets are on the move quite quickly moving into November. And they're also making quite nice aspects to each other, aren't they? They're on the move and they're making a fun, you know, sextile is a fun aspect. Should we look at that new moon? Let's look at the new moon. Yeah, for me, the sextile aspect, you know, it's the two signs along. I always, for me, it, it feels like they're holding hands and skipping. <laughs> that's all, you know, I, that's the kind of image that comes to mind. And that Mercury-Venus sextile takes place on November the 15th, just two days after this new moon. So that's lovely. And that's nice for Libra and Sagittarius having this sort of, you know, who's by your side? Who's your ally? Who's your kind of partner in crime in a good way, I want to say, going out to have fun, creating a bit of mischief, that kind of feel to it. Okay, so good news, bad news on this new moon. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Good news. It's a new moon, which is, well, actually, I always think of it as the dark of the moon. Um, Because actually, it's time for often a time for closure endings. And then you start on the day after, in my opinion. I don't know, you don't quite think of it like that, do you, Sally? Well, I still, for me, I think it's, it is dark, but that's when seeds are sown. They're sort of in the dark of the earth. And the time for me that I always say to people, make a wish, is literally when you first see the crescent moon, which isn't on the day of the new moon, it's the day after. But I do see that new moon point as a seed point. I think it's a lovely time if you meditate to kind of stop and turn inwards, because that's where seeds, you know, they need that. They have the light, but they're in the dark when they're first planted. So, so yeah, I still see it as an important seed moment, the new moon. And this one in Scorpio at 20 degrees Scorpio. So bad news. It's making conjunction to Mars and Scorpio. So we've got this very, very powerful Mars and Scorpio, which is going on throughout this month. Because um, Mars is super powered and Scorpio can be good, as in very good for like criticism and getting things done, especially emotional work. So like if you're in therapy, it can be great because you're getting right to the heart of what the problem really is with Mars and Scorpio. Bad news, aggressive. Then Mars is actually opposite to Uranus and Taurus, explosive. So it's not looking sort of less aggressive, really, except it's not on an eclipse. And it may be something... It's about hidden things. 
this new moon because it, not only is it the dark of the moon, but it's in Scorpio. So something hidden may come out into the light on the following day or soon after. There's stuff going on behind the scenes, often in Scorpio season, stuff we can't see. And that's that applies across the board, actually. I mean, maybe more so for, say, some sign like Aries, um, where you're doing stuff behind the scenes, you're working undercover even, you know, and then you come out after this new moon. And, you know, the thing to say with always, again, it's it's good astrological advice. When you get Mars and Uranus, either conjunction or an opposition, it's it, be a little bit wary, be a bit careful on that. I mean, the exact opposition that takes place on the 11th and then there's this new moon as well. Mars is impulsive, leaps in. It's about action, isn't it? Not thought. And Uranus is uh, spontaneity. It's the unexpected. So do not choose this period in the month to, you know, go bungee jumping is always the example I use or, you know, do some kind of mad adrenaline thing. It's not a time to do that because Mars and Uranus, they, they can be about accidents. So, you know, it is a time to sort of slow down, make sure you think things through, Make sure, you know, you preempt any issues that might arise and and just be a little bit careful. Know that other people might be angry. They might be moving without thought, care and thought. So I think that's always really key advice for everybody when Mars and Uranus active. It's kind of slow down, slow down. You move too fast. You know, it's um, it's really wise to do so, especially with this new moon. Basically, when we say the new moon, it means the sun and the moon are making a conjunction. So behind, you know, with Mars energy, that hot, fiery energy, although less so in Scorpio, it's more like a focused, intense energy. It's also got the moon, you know, the emotional energy behind it of the moon and the creative energy of the sun. So there's a lot of emotional impact also with this new moon. And I would also say, you know, be careful what you're saying. I agree completely about the accidents. You know, Mars-Uranus combo is accident prone or surprise. You know, so there will be surprises around this around this one. But having said all that, which is like, oh, be careful. It's like gloom astrology. Um, we should put little like little black hats on or something when we do the gloom astrology. I feel like a sort of medieval astrologer when I say, ah, yes, I'm looking at this planets and it's all, you know, terrible things are going to happen. Uh Sorry, terrible things aren't going to happen. But just be careful. There is a positive side to this of the surprise, the excitement, the energy. There's a kind of um, like anything could happen on this new moon and and around this Mars Uranus thing. And if you wanted to surprise someone, it would be quite a good time. I mean, it depends how you want to surprise them. But yeah, surprise them. Do something surprising. Sally's going to do something really shocking around this time. I don't know what it's going to be, but she will. (laughs) Well, yeah, Scorpio, you've got, so you may get the action from the Scorpios. Let's put it like that. May do something surprising. Or from the Taurians, something surprising, you know, surprise people. Why not? And also just for like Leo, you know, some, you may get some actually surprising piece of good news because although we're kind of focusing in the Newman is very focused on the Uranus opposition. Still got Jupiter in there bouncing around. 
jolly Jupiter. You know, I this, there's a lot of passion and energy around this new moon again. And for me, Uranus is often, you know, it's this genius potential often with Uranus. This new moon makes me think of like having, um, you know, a witch's coven and coming up with some fantastic ideas. You know, it's like, oh, yes, that's amazing. We should do that. So, yeah, there's real, you know, there's do something unexpected. Take a little walk into, you know, the, the world of the unknown during this new moon. Also to say that there is a lovely, again, when we're looking at the outlets, there's a lovely trine aspect to Neptune and Pisces. And the Mars and the Sun, they're going to meet in Scorpio on the 18th of November, and they're going to be trying Neptune as they do so. And that's really creative. That's really kind of, there's a spiritual aspect to that. Lovely for all the water signs, you know, Cancer, Scorpio, Pisces with that. You could conjure up something really remarkable during that period. It's it's a very creative sort of spiritually fertile and rich combination. So there's a lot of power and passion. It's really very much, I think, Scorpio season always is a month to dive in deep, you know, and see what emerges from that, see what you can create or bring into being. It may literally be a child or the birth of a baby for, you know, the water signs during that. For Scorpios, especially. Yes, I was just noting that beautiful trine to Neptune and Pisces. And it's interesting because we had the eclipse was making quite a good aspect to Saturn and Pisces. And then we've got this one, this new moon making good aspect to Neptune and Pisces. And Neptune and Pisces is about imagination. It's about unbounded imagination. And I think that for people, creative people, this is an amazing combination of stuff that's going on. It pulls in the Taurus, which is practical and actually makes things happen in a kind of sideways way. It brings in the imagination of Pisces and the kind of can-do spirit of Scorpio. It's like, let's actually focus on this, is a Scorpio thing. Let's actually deal with the problem. But there's another thing, which is that, uh, in fact, Pluto is making a very good aspect to this as well. It's a little bit wide, but not that wide. So you've got actually the new moon, Pluto, Neptune and Uranus all kind of working together and they're triggered on this new moon. So currently, you know, in the sky currently, Pluto, Neptune and Uranus are in very nice aspect to each other across these Earth and water signs. Um and the new moon triggers that. It starts a new cycle with that, or indeed completes something and then begins something. And it's interesting, actually, because um, Sally and I have just recorded uh, Astrology Talk Investigates, and we ended up looking at the chart of Rupert Murdoch, who is Capricorn with um, Capricorn rising with the sun in Pisces. And of course, he's just retired in a very, he's managed to pass his empire on, which is showing that water and earth combination working, functioning very well for him anyway. I'm not sure about how what is his effect on the rest of us, but there you go. But that beautiful combination of energies comes out at this new moon 
and is brought into action by Mars. So do something, water earth signs. Yeah, and uh, for Capricorn, conjure up something magical. There is a, you know, there's always this sense of magic and mystery in Scorpio season, I think. It is sort of, you're pulling back the veil. You're looking at what lies beyond. It's not just about the mundane and everyday, is it? It's about, you know, looking out at the, the universe, the cosmos, the the mysteries of the world. I mean, there's a lot that can can be explored and a lot of richness there as well. So, I mean, I think it's quite an exciting month coming up. Scorpio season is never all light. You know, it's it's the balance of life. I'm actually going to be going off on a big adventure for most of it, which I'll, well, I'm not quite sure when I'll tell you about it, which podcast I'll tell you about it, but um, it may be one further, further down the field because, um, but yeah, I'll be going off on a big adventure which feels the right time to be doing so in this powerful Scorpio season coming up, Christina. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Astrology Talks. I hope you can listen again next month when we'll be discussing that month ahead. This month does look interesting and possibly a little bit tricky. Don't, you know, there's no two ways about it, especially with that Mars-Uranus opposition, etc. So, you know, put your, get your umbrella ready or your rain hat or your slicker or whatever it is that you wear, your sou'wester, and uh, be prepared to plunge in and experience life intensely and deeply because that's what the Scorpio season demands of you. Absolutely. And on that note, we'll see you next time. 